Okay, we're going to be in Isaiah 40. So if you have a Bible, open up to Isaiah 40. If you don't, the folks walking down the aisle will give you one. Just raise your hand. They'll give you a Bible. Isaiah 40. Uh, and if you don't have a Bible and they hand you one, you're welcome to keep it. It would be uh, wise. The old adage is, a person whose Bible is falling apart is a sign that their life usually isn't. So go ahead and keep it. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. Isaiah 40, it's in the Old Testament. It's about 66 chapters long. We're in chapter 40. And now I'm excited to get to chapter 40. The first 39 chapters are tough to get through. A lot of woes, a lot of trepidation. Uh, You know, they're up against unbelievable odds. There's heavy... uh, uh, judgment placed upon them, and now the whole the whole scenario changes, starting with uh, chapter forty, and God begins to pour out uh, through Isaiah blessings upon Israel, especially chapter forty. You've heard me quote a number of verses from chapter forty in many of my messages. You'll find them in this this passage we read today. It's one of my favorites. Uh, And as we go through this, we're going to get into what they call messianic prophecies, messianic statements, where you're going to see Jesus Christ in the scriptures long before he would ever be born. Um, We'll even see in Isaiah uh, that the scriptures will speak of crucifixion hundreds of years before it was ever invented. Uh, There's amazing things in Isaiah that you'll just be blown away by. One in particular we're going to see today that'll just baffle you. Um, and for those of you who think that the Bible is backwards and it's unscientific and blah, 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 and I've heard it ad, ad nauseum, yeah, you'll, you'll be blessed and blown away today. Uh, before I get into the text, I just want to share with you the week ahead. Um, we, uh, we have the Senior Pastors Conference for the Calvary Chapel Association Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, and then Thursday and Friday. Thursday, I'll be in San Diego. Friday, I'll be in Lakewood, uh, where we're going to be training um, a whole grip of Hispanic pastors that want to run for office. And we've, we've brought in a whole crew, and they're, they're going to run. And uh, that's really thrilling. So they're, they're making a difference in the state of California, and these are amazing, amazing folks. And so we'll be doing that this week. Uh, I'll be with you the following Sunday, and then uh, we're going to take some vacation time, but I'll still be back on Sundays. Um, but please keep uh, Thursday and Friday in prayer. That's going to be a really epic uh, event and a great opportunity. Um, what else did I want to share with you that was kind of important? I can't remember, so let's forget it. All right, so um, before we stand for the reading of the Word of the Lord, let me just bring you uh, up to date for those of you who are visiting for the first time. Um, Israel, Jerusalem had been invaded by the Assyrians. They had surrounded Jerusalem. Hezekiah was the king. Uh, they had tried to get the Egyptians to help them, so they took all the money out of the treasury to pay the Egyptians to defend them against the Assyrians. Um, and the Assyrians went through the Egyptians like a hot knife through butter, wiped them out. God said it was going to happen. They didn't listen. And God said in the passage, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wait for you to go through all your attempts to try to do things on your own. I'm going to wait for you. And it's not good to be in a place where God's waiting for you. You want to be in a place where you're waiting on God, not God waiting on you. Um, and so God was waiting on the Israelites to come to the end of themselves. And the Bible says, in our weakness, God's strength is made perfect. And you come to a place in life where you're broken, and you say, you know, I need help. And that's when God moves. Uh, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. He'll lift you up. Most folks say, I don't need God. Um, well, in life, you're either going into a trial or coming out of a trial, or you're in the middle of a trial. That's life. And, and the older you get, the harder it gets. And uh, if you don't have a, a fixed destination and a purpose in life, depression creeps in. Um, I, I sit on the city council this Tuesday. We're going to rule on uh, um, a marijuana dispensary and who's going to win the award. And I, I didn't realize this. I'm 53 years of age. I didn't realize marijuana is the cure to everything. Um, 
And apparently, if we just, everyone's smoking, we're going to be fine. Um, but I, you know, I also think, too, there's a reason why folks are drawn to it. This is a depressing time to live. Most folks just want to check out. They don't want to live in reality. They want to hallucinogenic. They want to just kind of check out and just numb themselves for a season. I remember the first time I, I, I used uh, morphine uh, when I'd had back surgery. I remember I got that shot of morphine, and I thought at that moment, if everyone were on morphine, there'd be world peace. <laughs> But as, as those of us who've gone through addiction know, uh, it, it requires more to get less. And then the next thing you know, your life is in turmoil. And where it picks you up, it leaves you further back than where you started. Uh, and then your life is in turmoil. And, and we're at a place where, uh, honestly, I don't think there's enough drugs on the planet to lift to the depression if you don't know where you're going and you don't have a purpose or a point in life. And, and I, I understand, uh, especially our young folks, kind of being drawn to that. And, and the depression that's hitting our young people and the suicide epidemic and the opioid epidemic that is just leveling our young folks, uh, they're at a place where they're like, what's the point? Uh, we watched this uh, Ready Player One, um, Steven Spielberg, and, and he, it's, it's about the entire world being captivated by you know, a, a video game and, and, and living in an alternative reality. And the end of it, it the, basically the developer of the game says, you know, uh, you, you want to live in the real world, you know, it, 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 it's so much nicer and, and you have friends. Uh, and, and really, we're created by God to have relationships. And the more we engage and become inwardly focused and selfish, the more miserable our life becomes. And I, I pray today through this passage that you're encouraged because it does speak to the youth of our, of our culture. It speaks to all of us. This passage is, is one of the most refreshing, encouraging passages I've ever had the privilege to know through the 53 years of my life, almost 54. And I really pray that it ministers to you. It is a gift from the Lord today for everyone who's present in the hearing of my voice. And so with that, would you please stand for the reading of the word of the Lord? Now, I know it's hot. I know you came here to beat the heat. So I'm not going to make you stand long. I am going to go through the entire chapter, but I'm only going to make you stand for the reading of four verses. So if you go towards the end of the passage, we're going to pick up at verse 28. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak, and to those who have no might, he increases strength. Even the youths shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. (laughs) Let's just stop and go home. Lord, thank you for your word just the comfort of what you've shared, who you are, and how you bless us when we wait on you. How life becomes so overwhelming when you wait on us to go through our vain imagination to try to live life apart from the one who created us. But then when we come to a place where we wait on you and faith is taking you at your word and waiting on you, and how we understand how easy it is to wait when we realize who it is we're waiting on. God, I pray that your word would minister deeply to all who can hear my voice. I pray that you'd bless and encourage, especially as I I see the passage where it says, the youth shall faint and be weary and the young men shall utterly fall. Lord, please speak to the young. Let them realize that there is a purpose in all this. 
that they would not be in despair or discouraged, but they would have a vision and a purpose, that their life would have direction and meaning. And so, Lord, minister deeply, I pray. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, have a seat. Uh, I do want to give you a word that uh, we found out that John Mink will not be healthy by this evening. So I will be teaching Genesis 6 tonight if you guys want to come out. I read it. It's heavy, and uh, I want to do it. So, yeah. My, my daughter uh, and, and my son-in-law, uh, actually, Michelle's back there holding uh, Abigail. You, you met her last week. Honey, walk a little forward so everyone can see Abigail. There she is. She's a little over a week old. Uh, they met with um, the, the, the mom and the dad are under a bridge in Los Angeles somewhere on crystal meth. Um, she's gone through the withdrawals already. She's doing really well. She's just adorable. Um, some of the family came out to, you know, seek uh, adopting the baby. But as I was talking to Molly, you know, Molly's done a lot of um, care for children, uh, babies. And, uh, and one of the things Molly keeps hearing is, I don't think I could ever do that. Because when you love on a child, your heart gets knitted. And then that child is taken. I, and, and the statement is, I don't think I could do that. And Molly says, you know, I can't do it either. Most of the folks that are in foster care do it so they can get adoption for cheap. Um, But there are very few, like Molly and Micah, that do it to help the families be reunited with their kids. You say, well, I don't think I could do that. Well, nobody can do that in yourself. But the scripture says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Did you hear that? That's his word. And, and if you think in the United States, there's 483,000 children in the foster care program. 483,000 across the United States. And there's 85 million self-professing evangelical Christians that that verse applies to, that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, for those who just declare themselves a Christian, there's 173 million but evangelicals who go to church, believe the Bible to be the inerrant word of God, to hold it as a, a, a position of faith. And there's only 493,000 foster kids, and there's plenty of room. It's just we have to open our heart. There's only 3,000 here in our community, in, in the county. If, if just the Christian community said, you know what, I, I, and you say, I can't do that. You know, it is going to be a stretch, and there will be difficulties, and there will be long nights, and there will be broken hearts. But that's being a Christian. That's what makes us different. That's a testimony. I share that because what the Lord's going to do in this verse is he's going to do a couple things. One, we're going to see at the end of the chapter how he's going to lift this up. Wings of eagles, right? We're going to see this incredible blessing he's going to place on us. But the only reason why Isaiah can say this at the end of the chapter is because who he declares God to be at the beginning of the chapter. You see, it's the beginning of the chapter that gives this vision to Isaiah that's fascinating. This is an amazing passage of scripture, one that has blessed me. And here, what happens is God has delivered the Israelites from the hand of the Assyrians. It is miraculous. Hezekiah had been doing everything he could in his own power to try to stop the Assyrians. He finally ran out of everything. He'd used all the money in the treasury. He'd used everything. And he finally came to a place where he had nothing left. And then, based on what Isaiah had said, watching it all come to fruition, all come, come to reality, he then says, I guess what Isaiah is saying is true. 
So instead of God waiting on me, I'm going to go wait on the Lord. So he takes Sennacherib's demands of 200 talents of silver and 30 talents of gold, which he doesn't have. And he says, God, we're in trouble. And he he says, no, correction, you're in trouble. Here's a problem and you got to help. You got to fix this. And so he lays it before the Lord and he waits on God. And then as you know, the story, an angel of the Lord takes out 185,000 Assyrians that night. Boom. And Isaiah is renewed. He's a whole new guy. And, and he, he gets 15 years added to his life when he had a terminal illness. And then through that, Manasseh's born. Manasseh was worse than Hitler and Osama bin Laden combined, exponentially worse. And what's amazing about the story of Manasseh is that in the end of his life, he got it right and he reconnected with God. And if, and if God can save Manasseh, yeah, he can save anyone in this room, come to think of it. No sin separates you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. He's given provision for that. But you have to trust him. You have to wait on him. Waiting on God means trusting and taking him at his word. It's not a static waiting, like standing in a line. It is holding God to his word, praying. Praying is faith. Praying is waiting on God. Praying is reminding God. And, and one of the reasons why you do this is because as you see this vision God gives Isaiah at the beginning, you start to realize this isn't an exercise in futility. This is an absolute transformation. Prayer doesn't change God. Prayer changes us. It puts us in alignment with what God desires. The Bible says, you have not because you ask not. But then you ask and you don't receive because you ask amiss for selfish reasons. You want your agenda done. You want your timing done. God, do this or else. That's not praying. It, the, 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 the model of prayer Jesus gave us, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. That's the model for prayer. It's not my will, God, you're the cosmic genie in the sky. I'm going to lay out my demands and you better fulfill them. And if not, you and I are done. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. When you pray according to God's word, the Bible says it's yes and amen. Now you can only pray according to God's word when you know God's word. That's why we memorize it. That's why you should be reading it. And so what's fascinating is because of the knowledge of this passage and who God is, as as Isaiah will reveal through the spirit of the Lord, it strengthens him at the end to understand what God wants to do in and through us as we wait upon him. And so with that, let's take a look at the passage, chapter 40, verse 1. And this is where the entire uh, narrative changes. It goes from woes and trepidation and judgment. And now it begins with, Isaiah, comfort, yes, comfort my people, says, says your God. Speak comfort to Jerusalem and cry out to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned. For she has received from the Lord's hand double for all of her sins. Meaning, I'm blessing her double from all the iniquity that, that she's done. I'm going to bless her doubly. The voice of one crying in the wilderness. Fascinating verse, chapter 3. This is the verse that John the Baptist used when he came in the spirit of Elijah to declare the birth of Jesus Christ, that, that he would be the Messiah of the world. And he uses this exact verse in, in uh, Isaiah 40. He says, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted and every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight and the rough places smooth. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord is spoken. The voice said, cry out. And he said, what shall I cry? Now, this is interesting because when I was up north, um, I had shared with my friend Jackie Irwin. I said, you know, Jackie, when my boys were 13 years old, when they turned 13, I took them on a walkabout. 
uh, where I said, you know, from 12 to 13, it's the Hebrew mindset that you go from a boy to a man. There's not tweens or, you know, teens. It's, it's, it's childhood and then adulthood. And it happens at 13. In, in, the, in the Hebrew culture, it's a bar mitzvah for the boys and a bat mitzvah for the girls. And you are now responsible for your life from this point on. It's kind of like your body can reproduce. You have the keys to a car. Now you need to know how to drive it. And I would tell my boys, listen, as, as a man, you're going to be a provider and a protector, a provider and a protector. And every great journey in life begins with the end in mind. Every great journey begins with the end in mind. Why are you here? Where are you going? What's the point? As I would say that to my boys, the beginning of our walkabout started up at the cemetery. I was telling Jackie this. I said, I asked the boys to observe. What do you see? Now they turned 13 at different times. And so that was with them individually. But I would say to my son, what do you see? They want tombstones. Okay. What else do you observe? Oh, there's a name on it. Year of the birth, year of death, dash in between, some pithy statement underneath. Some of them, well, very few of them have flowers. Some are fake flowers that are faded. Others are wilted. Some have fresh flowers, but very few. Yes. What else do you see? Okay. What don't you see? Oh, I don't see any people other than the groundskeeper. Yes. You see, every great journey begins with the end in mind. We all have death in common. Now, where are we going and why are we here? Are you some cosmic accident? Are you some primordial soup? Were you created by chance? You live in, 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 in simply a materialistic world? Or is it just a physical world? Or is there metaphysical concepts like love and hate and good and bad? I love it when people who are, who are evolutionists or people who are, are believe just in the, in the physical realm say to me, you're evil. I go, oh, time out. You're using my worldview. You can't use evil. That is a metaphysical term. You can't use love either. Yeah, that's not material. Where do you come up with having any morality at all? And, and if this is just a physical world, why wouldn't rape be legal? Because if, if it's survival of the fittest, don't you think your DNA should be everywhere? And if you press that in this educational system today, they're without excuse. You can't even say Hitler was evil. Because there isn't evil. It's a physical world. How depressing. Where are you going? Why are you here? Are you like Nietzsche screaming in the darkness? Are you howling at the darkness of the night sky as though somehow you have a significance? You are a gnat on the butt of an elephant. You're nothing. You see, the scripture points it out, and I told my boys this in verse 3. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, and as it drops down, after he declares this, as it drops down, it says in this passage, verse 6, cry out. And he said, what shall I cry? He says, all flesh is grass. And all its loveliness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades because the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are grass and the grass withers, the flower fades. But the word of God stands forever. I said, boys, you know why there's no one here at the cemetery? They might come once or twice a year. Anniversary, birth date. 
And when they get older, they're going to die and they're not going to visit anyone. Oh, you're important. You're significant. Well, you get a larger tombstone. You're like a flower. You're here for a moment and then you're gone. And if there's no point in life and you don't know why you're here, you have no idea where you're going. You have this much time, a dash, and then it's over. And the question is, why are you here? And in the end of this statement, God says through the voice of Isaiah, the word of God stands forever. He created the heavens and the earth by the spoken word. He's transformed lives by a spoken word. He's ministering to you now by the reading of his word. It's making sense. There is truth. Two plus two is four. It's an absolute gravity law, not theory law. I don't believe in God. He believes in you, but not believing in God is like not believing in gravity. It doesn't matter. He's not up there going, Oh no, he doesn't believe in me. And, 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 and what he's saying is, my word stands forever. You see, faith is taking God at his word. Who you are, why you're here, where you're going, what life means, what the point of it all is, how a family's to operate, it's all laid out. It used to be that our culture was biblically literate. Most of our vernacular, you can't change a leopard spots, comes right out of the scriptures. Now, widow's might comes right out of the scriptures. All of these pithy sayings were because our culture was biblically literate. Our children were raised with scriptural understanding. Today, we've removed that. If we can remove who you are, we can then control who you will be. We're not going to educate you. We're not going to tell you you're creating the image of God. You are a serf, and I am in control. I'm not going to, to educate you and teach you how to learn. I'm going to indoctrinate you. And the scripture says, no, the word of God stands forever. What's fascinating about the word of God is that scientists for eons have said, oh, the word of God is scientifically unsound. It's it's archaeologically, uh, you know, wrong. None of these things. And the the more they dig and the more they discover, the more they realize, well, it was right where the Bible said it was. You, You don't believe me? Let's sit down and have some time together. I've done my homework. You may have taken your, your silly little you know, religious classes at your community college, I would really enjoy having some time with you. Oh, I've seen the Zeitgeist video and, and the scriptures are on this thing. And there's, yeah, yeah. The scripture says, you're gone. How, how depressing if you don't know the word of God that stands forever and the whole point is that his, his word sustains you, strengthens you, guides you, directs you, gives you purpose, gives you meaning, this is the idea of what God wants to instill in every human being. Verse 9, O Zion, you bring good tidings. Get up into the high mountain, O Jerusalem. You who bring good tidings, lift up your voice with strength. Lift it up, be not afraid. Say to the cities, behold your God. Behold, the Lord shall come with a strong hand. His arm shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his work before him, he will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. It's this idea of a savior who comes to gather people and to reconnect them with their creator. 
The word religion, as many of you have heard me say, is a Latin term called relungari, to relink, to reconnect with your creator. And, and Christianity is different from every religion in the world because to reconnect with God is not a series of do's and don'ts. Everyone who makes a rule for themselves typically breaks it. You, you, you don't earn God's favor by doing good things. You earn God's favor by receiving his forgiveness. You don't try to obtain righteousness. You receive it from the Lord. You don't earn it. He gives it to you. And it's received by faith, not by works. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Every religion in the world is man trying to get to God by good works. Christianity is God coming to man and giving us his righteousness. We don't do good things out of obligation. We do good things out of adoration. It's not a have to anymore. It's a get to. It's a love relationship. We're created for relationship. And I have to tell you, when I had shared this story with my friend Jackie, all flesh is grass and the breath of the Lord blows upon it. The grass withers, the flower fades. People are like grass. The grass withers, the flower fades. You know, I think about that. Having done funerals, there's times where I remember the first funeral I ever did. I shared this. The first funeral I ever did, there was nobody there but the mother and the daughter and the deceased. She lived her whole life as a drug addict. She was my age. She was 33, 32 years of age. She lived her life selfish, all internal. And, and Ecclesiastes 7.1, I've been sharing it this week. A, a good name is like a precious fragrance. Better is the day of a man's death than the day of his birth. A good name, good name, good name is a good fragrance. But better is the day of a man's death than the day of his birth. You see, you only know if a name is good at the end of your life. Everyone's given a name. And if that name smells good, it's a result of how you lived. If the name is a stench, it's a result of how you lived. And, and the way to fill a room at your funeral is because you were others-centered. You poured your life into other people. And the Bible says when you lose your life, you gain it. When you lose your life, you gain it. Now, if you want to be alone and have a funeral where nobody attends, just make it about you. Keep the headset on, go into an alternate reality, use people, and you'll see what happens. Your life will be void of meaning. You see, you have a good name because you take God at his word. You have a good name because you've waited on the Lord. You have a good name because you have substance. You have a good name because you have meaning. You're heavy. You have weight. And that means your life counts. And I told Jackie, I said, this idea of a good name. I remember, do you, I said, do you remember October 17th, 2014? She goes, yes, like it was yesterday. We were in the thick of that campaign. I was running against you for the assembly. She goes, yeah, I said it was busy. She goes, it was. I said, that was my boy's 13th birthday. I didn't have time to go take him on a walkabout. However, you find time for things that are important. And so I took time away. We had hundreds of people at the campaign office that was over there making phone calls, folding signs, walking precincts, on and on. Everyone wearing a McCoy shirt, McCoy signs everywhere. We'd wallpaper the county. With my, I was sick of my name. I want to change my name. <laughs> Jackie goes, I remember. And I said, I took him up. I took him up to the cemetery. I showed him that. I did the whole thing with the grass withers, the flower fades, and every great journey begins with the end in mind. A good name is like a precious fragrance. And I laid that out, and he got it. And I said, this is your destination. This is where you're going. This is who you are. You're a man. You have purpose and meaning and direction. 
You are, a, you are a child of God. You've been created fearfully and wonderfully made, knitted together in your mother's womb. You're on this earth to serve humanity. It's not about you. It's about being a provider and a protector. Do you understand this? Yes, dad. And they're good boys. They're good men. And I shared that with her. I said, you know what happened, Jackie? For each of the boys, when Daniel turned 13, I gave him my father's military sword. When Michael turned 13, I gave him my autograph of Ronald Reagan that I got when I was nine. Things were worth thousands of dollars. And we walk into the campaign office, busy as can be. We walk in and everyone goes, ah, the candidates here. They're all cheering. I'm like, yeah, okay, whatever. And I said, hey, everybody, it's Michael's birthday. And they all cheered, Michael, happy birthday. I go, hey, everybody, for Michael's 13th birthday, I gave him my autograph of Ronald Reagan that I've been speaking about at each of the things. And everyone's like, whoa. We put it on the table. And you know what? Everyone put the phones down. And they stopped doing everything, folding. Everyone got up, walked over. And I, I realized, I told Jackie, I said, I turned to my son. I said, Michael, a dead man's signature is more valuable than a living candidate's presence. Because it's a good name. It's a fragrance that drew everyone from activity to focus. That's how you live your life. And when the scripture says that the word of the Lord stands forever, when you stand upon that, people are drawn to you. Because it has substance, it has meaning. This is who you are, this is where you're going. Every great journey begins with the end in mind. God says through Isaiah in verse 12, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? Let me just show you who God is. If you have trouble wanting to follow him, if you have trouble wanting to trust him, if you have trouble wanting to wait on him, let me tell you who it is you're waiting on. This is a God who holds the waters in the hollow of his hand. This little indention, all the waters, 350 million cubic miles of ocean. Just I can't even go right there. He measured the heavens with the span of his hand, nine inches, I believe it is, depending on the size of the king's hand. That's the span of his hand, all the heavens right there. Right there. See that? That's God. You wait on him. Calculated the dust of the earth in a measure, weighed the mountains and the scales and the hills in a balance. You have Mount Everest, you have the Marianas Trench, everything's balanced. You have tires in your car. Driving in California, we have such great roads. We're driving on Highway 5, going up to Grass Valley. You just put a curb on the freeway. Seriously, it's just insane. Fourth of July weekend, Caltrans out there taking Highway 5 and doing it in one lane. I don't... Where was I? I got to get back to this. I'm so angry. <laughs> and then you hit these things and your car's out of whack and you start going 70, 75, looking around. <laughs> you got to take them in. They put the little lead balance things in. They spin them. You're like, oh, good. Oh. And the earth is spinning. It's like going, you know, Mount Everest over here. <laughs> no, no, it's all balanced. We're not up here going, whoa, this is awesome. God fixed it. I don't know what to do. (laughs) 
He's weighed the mountains in the scale and the hills in a balance. Who has directed the spirit of the Lord or who has, or who as his counselor has taught him? I mean, I, I get fascinated by people go, I've got questions for God. He owes me some answers. And then nobody in the room, including myself, has ever said, you know, God, I don't think you really understand what you're doing. Okay, I have said that. If I were in charge, I wouldn't do it this way. It's a wonder you have any friends the way you treat them. And yet God is saying, Who's directed the spirit of the Lord? Or as his counselor has taught him. It's like he said to Job, the oldest book in the Bible. It predates Genesis. Job is whining and complaining and and accusing God. And God just says, who is this who darkens my counsel with words that are without knowledge? Where were you when I created the night sky and guided Orion through the course of its uh, travels? He holds it here. Where were you? The, the sun is 93 million miles away. No one's ever going to get there in our lifetime, more than likely. We might get to Mars. We've been to moon. We've been to the moon. <laughs> I've had a lot of coffee. <laughs> We've been to the moon. Ooh. God's like, wow. Let me see the moon. What's he see? Going to- let me get the Milky Way. Okay, okay, okay. Oh, there's the solar system. Oh, there's the Earth. Oh, there's the moon right there. Oh, you went there. Look at you. <laughs> one big step for man, one giant leap for mankind. <laughs> oh, that's really awesome. <laughs> so spectacular. The scripture says, who instructed him and taught him in the path of justice? I love this one. The path of justice. I am for social justice. You know what social justice is? Democracy. 50.1% of the people declare that this is, this is immoral. And so let's just eviscerate the 49.9% of the rest of humanity. And, and, and it's a moving scale. It's a moving scale. Try to hit it. Call me by my right pronoun. <laughs> I, where, I, guilty. Gone with you. What did I do? It doesn't matter. It's what you were thinking. Our kids have to deal with this. And, and as I look at this, it says, taught him the path of justice. There's not social justice. There's just justice. Amen. It's not your opinion. It's what God says. Amen. Amen means true. If some of you are wondering why people are mumbling. <laughs> Amen means true. There's justice. Justice. This is right. This is wrong. Thou shall not steal. Thou shalt not covet. Who are you to judge me? That's not mine. That's God's. You want to take it up with him. He'll wait for you. You don't teach him the path of justice. He's the embodiment of justice. 
who taught him knowledge. He's the one who created the universe. He's the one that gave the order. He's the one that gave the design. Oh, I don't believe in God. I've never seen him. You're praying to God. You don't see. I've never seen the architect or the builder of this building, but it screams of a designer. The sun rises, the sun sets, there's four seasons. You look at everything. Every cell is intricate and detailed. It's a designer. You've got to shelve your brain to come up with some sort of bizarre coinky dink thing to remove some sort of accountability to a God who fashioned you and made you. And the scripture says he showed him the way of, and showed him the way of understanding. Behold, the nations are as a drop in a bucket and are counted as small as the dust on scales. The nations, the nations, they're counted as small as dust on the scales. This is such a picture because you have these ancient merchants that would have the scales and you'd come in to want to buy something and they would take their weights to put it on. You'd put the amount and I want a pound of this. And just to show that they were honorable and they were straightforward, they'd take the scale and they'd lay it on the table and they'd clear the dust so it'd settle well. And then they'd take the scale and they'd go, and the dust would come off. They go, nothing there to get in the way of this weighing. I am honest. <laughs> and that's what God is saying the nations are. That, that's the... <sighs> We're in a trade war with China. <sighs> North Korea has nuclear weapons. <laughs> you get it? Who's going to be the next Supreme Court judge? (laughs) Verse 18. To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness will you compare to him? The workman molds an image. The goldsmith overspreads it with gold. The silversmith casts silver chains. Whoever is too impoverished for such a contribution chooses a tree that will not rot. He seeks for himself a skillful workman to prepare a carved image that will not totter. Have you not known? Have you not heard? And what he's saying is, listen, people will do anything other than worship God. And and they go, you know what? I love my sin so much that I don't want to walk away from it. So I'm going to deify my sin. I am not addicted to pornography. I am just a worshiper of Aphrodite. Now I'm going to make a little golden image. I am not an alcoholic. I just worship Bacchus, the god of alcohol. And I made him as silver because I ran out of money because I had too much to drink. I couldn't get a job. But my parents left me some silver. And I'm going to sell it later because I'm thirsty. Ever been to a Chinese restaurant with Buddha? He's just sitting there. Big, and his belly's a little bigger than mine. And I don't know how he gets so big. He never eats. They put a bowl of oranges in front of him. And I come in and they just get rotten. And they're like, oh, Buddha's not hungry. He's got to be hungry. How do you get like that? He never eats. Just. He's, he should be emaciated. He fashioned with, with bronze or gold and, they, and, they, and you just make a God because if I can make a God I don't have to be submitted to the God and you can have any God you want 
For some, it's the God in your garage. For some, it's the God on your television. For some, it's the God at work. For some, it's a relational God. Everybody, whatever you spend your time, treasures, and talents doing, that's your God. And the Lord says, have you not known, folks? Have you not heard? Has it not been told to you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? Come on, everybody, pay attention. Have you not been told from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth. Yeah, it is he that sitteth upon the circle of the earth. The book of Isaiah was written sometime between 740 and 680 BC. This is at least 300 years before Aristotle suggested that the earth might be a sphere. That's right there. You, I didn't make it up. Actually, one of the manuscripts of the Dead Sea Scrolls contains that. So there you go. Put that in your pipe. Smoke it. It's right there. It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretches out the heavens like a curtain, spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. He brings the princes to nothing, and he makes the judges of the earth useless. Princes, do you know who's in power? And I remember saying, the the depression, the person was saying to me, there's so much depression in the country. I go, yeah, you know why? Because we think, and listen, if your hope is in who is occupying Air Force One, in four to eight years, you're going to be depressed. I was depressed for eight years. Now I'm a little happier. Some of you are depressed and soon you'll be happy because it really it's, it's, it's it, the scripture says he brings princes to nothing other than Ramsey's name. One person for the pyramids were named after you can't King Tut. No, he didn't get a pyramid wrong. N- name who the chief justices were in 1860. You don't know. You probably can't even name the presidents. We're grasshoppers. We're here, gone. He brings princes to nothing. You go, no, you don't understand. Kim Jong-un is just, he's vicious. (sighs) Done. Donald Trump is evil. (sighs) Some of you are going, no, 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 blow. (laughs) Folks, that's how it works. Pendulum swings and it depends. You know what doesn't change? The word of the Lord. And then the scripture says, he makes the judges of the earth useless. You guys are up there going, oh, he's going to pick. He's going to erase everything we've worked hard for. It's going to be years of his, this is all, the judges. They're useless. You don't even know who they were previously. Plessy versus Ferguson. We go through all these issues when slavery, you can't even name who the justices were. And the scripture says this, scarcely shall they be planted, scarcely shall they be sown, scarcely shall their stock take root on the earth, when he will also blow on them, and they will wither, and the whirlwind will take them away like stubble. Bye-bye. To whom then will you liken me, God says? Or to whom shall I be equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high, and see who has created these things. Who brings out their hosts by number? He calls them by name, meaning the stars in the sky. We can give them numbers. We don't even know how many there are. He has a name for every one of them. By the greatness of his might and the strength of his power, not one is missing. He's aware of all of them. You can go and get your girlfriend a star named after her. And they don't even know it's really there and you just wasted your money. 
And this is the part that gets me after he lays all of this out. The response, the response of mankind is, why do you say, O Jacob or mankind and speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord and my just claim is passed over by my God. He just, he's so big and you come up with any reason to whine. He's so big. He just doesn't see me. I remember one kid when I was little, his name was Sean. We used to walk to school together. There's a big two story house here, big two story house. here, had a one story house. He goes, Santa's not coming to my house because he won't see it. <laughs> I'm like, well, first of all, Sean, there's not a Santa and we'll bring you some toys. They're not a Santa. <laughs> Have a wonderful life. <laughs> My way is hidden from the Lord. He's so big. He holds the heavens in the span of his hand. How does he even know me? He's mindful of me. And my just claim is passed over by my God. It's kind of like God's created this. He holds the heavens He's like, oh, there's so many people. What? Oh, 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 I can't keep it going. And the earth, I just, I'm trying to, oh. And you're crying out and claiming his word and you're waiting on him. And he's up here going, oh, I can't help everyone. (laughs) I mean, where is he when I need him? It's called waiting, trusting. Yeah, I'm going to take matters into my own hands. Okay, then he'll wait for you. We'll see how that goes. We've already learned that. Jonah. I'll wait for Jonah. I am not going to Nineveh. Gulp. He's in the belly of a fish. Three days. Still won't repent. I'd be in there three seconds. I'm out. I'm out. Tap. Tap. He's in there getting digested. Going deep, coming up, going deep, ears popping, sliding to the front of the fish, sliding to the back of the fish. He's finally like, I want out. 100% humidity, over 90 degrees. You think this is hot. Try hell, and it's just awful. Finally, he just says, okay, I tap. Throws him up on the shores of Nineveh. Oh, okay, I guess I better go do what you wanted me to do. Uh Uh-huh, I was waiting on you. Okay, my bad. And you know what? This is the problem. People come for counsel. And you give them God's word. And you know what? They don't want to wait. They don't want to take God at his word. They, 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 They come to me and they want some psychobabble. And my job as a pastor is to take them to the Lord. Hey, I'm glad you're here. Here's the Lord. His word does not return void. His word will remain. His word is what you should be trusting. Are you reading? Are you praying? No, I came to see if you had any advice. You have God's word that is living and breathing and sharpening a two-edged sword available to you. The God who holds the heavens in the span of his hand, who has the waters in the palm, in the, the hollow of his hand. The God who directs everything. You have his word. Have you read it? No. Have you prayed? No. But it's just not happening the way I want it to. <laughs> My way's hidden from the Lord. It's, it, I, don't, I just don't feel like he's there. He is. He's waiting for you. It's time you wait for him. Now, you know what's amazing about having to Wait. You start to realize how big God is and how small you are. 
He's really good at waiting for you. In your weakness, he'll bring you to the end of yourself. In the last service, we had a young man named Michael stand up. He came to us a ways back, totally addicted, strung out. He said, I I, I don't want this anymore. He stood up here. He's now a counselor to others. He's with his boy, and he's testifying of what God has done in his life, clean and sober. He finally got tired. And instead of God waiting on him, he started to wait on the Lord. And waiting on the Lord is an interesting one. The scripture says, have you not known, verse 28, have you not heard the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, this God, I want you to know about him. And this is important if you're going to wait on him. You ready? Listen, for those of you who are saying he's not there and I don't feel his presence. Have you not known? Have you not heard the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth? He neither faints nor is weary. He's not up there going, you're exhausting me, people. You, you put the fun in dysfunction. You, you have issues. Same thing over and over and over again. Enough. No, that's not God. He doesn't faint, nor is he weary. And if he doesn't faint and he's not weary, why are you quitting? His understanding is unsearchable. None of this makes sense. Ask God. James says, if any man lacks wisdom, all he need but do is ask of God. God will give freely to him who asks. People say, Pastor, you're so wise. You don't know me. If anything is coming out of my mouth that's wise, it's one thing, God's word that remains forever. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak. I am going to take control of the situation. I'm just, going to, I'm just going to do what I need to do. Well, you're not weak. You're not weak. You still have strength to be prideful and to run life your way. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. He'll lift you up. And, and most folks are listening to me say that. They're going, yes, yes, my spouse should do that. I need a baseball bat to hit you over the head with. It's about you. You're going to play that later and I'm going to be in trouble. The only side of the street you can clean up is your own. And you wait on the Lord. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak and to those who have no might, he increases their strength. I love this. It's such a profound picture to me. He gives you power when you're weak. And to those who have no might, he increases their strength. You know what your weakness is? Your weakness, your waiting is not static. Like I said, standing in a line. Your waiting is trusting him, praying, reading his word, and taking him at his word. And we're all going to struggle. And even if you're young, you may have vitality and strength, and you may be just fit as a fiddle. I'm just up in Grass Valley. My boys were up there. My son Daniel and my nephew Kyle went with me to the supermarket and uh, they had just come from the lake so their shirts were off and they're ripped, you know, and I had my shirt on and I'm, I'm not ripped. And, uh, 
And, and, and we walk in and we have groceries and the, the checkout lines are packed and there's girls in each of the lines, you know, checkout ladies and, and, and they're young and they see the boys. Are, I'm free over here. We're open. Could you just move? Thanks. Come on. I, I got this is open right here. This is, I'm like, hey, this is cool. Hey, bring you guys with me more often. <laughs> How you doing? Uh, are they with you? But even youth shall faint and be weary and the young men shall utterly fall. And if you think you don't have direction or purpose or meaning in life, depression comes from no direction, purpose or meaning in life. You're going to fall. That's why many of your classmates have committed suicide and many of them are addicted to opioids. And you're in trials right now. But those who wait on the Lord, take him at his word, pray, seek him. They shall renew their strength, which means you have the strength and he gives it to you. He renews it. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not weary, not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. I, I, I think about this. This is Job when he says he stretches out the north over the empty space and hangs the earth on nothing. <laughs> I mean, Job, this, again, predated Genesis. You can imagine when he wrote that, all the Greeks were saying, you stupid idiot. You know that the earth is on the back of Atlas standing on a tortoise who's on top of elephants. What a moron you are. How can the earth be held on nothing? And then we send astronauts in space. Wow. It's just, it's just a big blue ball. I just sat right out there. There's nothing. There's no thing to that do. Nothing. It's right there. Big blue ball. Hey, look at that. Let's go back to Job. Hangs the earth on nothing. That's the Bible. That's what you trust. That's what you take at God's word. That's faith. That's waiting on the Lord. There's NASA. <laughs> Actually, that's Galileo. And everyone goes, ah, the church didn't understand science. Science has always overcome the stupidity of the scriptures. Time out. The telescope that Galileo used was the church's telescope as they were advancing science. And it was Galileo who quoted Job 26 to declare that the, we're not heliocentric. We revolve around the sun. And he contended. And the reason why the church got it wrong is because they just didn't read the Bible. Imagine church is not teaching the Bible. <laughs> this, is, this is a true picture from NASA. You can look it up. It's called Hand of God NASA. Just Google that, Hand of God NASA. Don't do it now. I'll see if you're doing it. Sh- shut off the internet. Hand of, <laughs> Hand of God NASA. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, measured the heaven with his span? Look at that. Isn't that cool? You can just look it up. It's a powerful NASA photo. I'm not saying it's the hand of God. I'm just saying it really looks like the hand of God. <laughs> but those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. I'm almost finished. I think, and, and we, you, you Google that passage, and you get this eagle, bald eagle, and an American flag behind it. And you know, you give that award, it's a big bronze, here's the eagle. It's got Isaiah 40, 31. Poof. I'd say I got that because I was number one in my sales division. I'm, I'm soaring like an eagle, wings. <laughs> but notice the structure of the verse. It begins with those who wait on the Lord. It's not static means taking God at his word, praying those who wait on the Lord shall renew. They had strength. They lost it. Now they're renewed their strength. 
They shall mount up with wings like eagles. Mount up with wings like eagles. It's a cool passage. You see, I was just up in Montana and I watched some of the eagles. Not the football team. And they had cliffs. And, and on these cliffs, these ravines, the eagles would sit there and they'd, they'd get up in the morning and they'd, they'd preen themselves, I think is what you call it. And then, And they get all fluffy. <laughs> and they're cleaning themselves and just getting all set and any mucus or whatever from the carrion they've been eating, just cleaning themselves up and enjoying a little extra snack. You know, mm, I don't remember eating that. That was delicious. <laughs> and then, and then the, the morning heat would start to build, kind of like here. And, and it would create this updraft and they just do this. The eagles just go. And the air would go. And they go higher and higher and they hit another updraft. You don't believe me. The thermal heat, birds fly path, they just go up on these updrafts. They're not even flapping and they're rising. And this is what God does. You remember it if you're a Christian. You came to the Lord, you were burdened, heavy laden, you were out of strength. You just said, God, help me. Would you forgive me? He says, of course I forgive you. I've cleansed you. I've cast your sin as far as the east is from the west. Remember no more. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son. That if you believe in him, you will not perish, but have everlasting life. I've forgiven you. You're my child. We're reconnected. God, nothing sins between you and me. Nothing. Not all the stuff I've done. I was going to say crap. Not all the stuff I've done. No. Matter of fact, I've forgotten it. I don't even know what you're talking about. And, and, and you haven't been saved by, by works. You've been saved by grace through faith. It's, it's not of works. It's a gift from me. You can't boast about it. I've given you my righteousness. You didn't have to earn it. All religions in the world are man trying to get to God by do's and don'ts. This one is, I just came to you and gave you my righteousness. I put it on your account. You receive it by faith. It's a gift. <sighs> it just lifts you. You remember that? Do you remember how joyful you were the first... I can fly forever. This is so awesome. I'm flying. Remember that? Okay, good. That was the only one. The updraft and the thermal just lifting you and you're like, this is so great. But then the text gets tough. You go from these wings like eagles and then it goes to, and they shall run and not be weary. I would think you go walk, run, fly. You go fly, run, walk. Here's the running part. Because you're like, you know what? I can't wait to run and tell everybody about this soaring adventure I had. And I want to run and tell everyone that they would know the good news, the gospel. I want to tell them how to come to Christ. I want to tell them about the salvation by grace. Your faith is a gift of God. I just can't wait to tell everybody about it. To deliver from my sins, cast for our from I'm renewed. I'm a new creature in Christ. I mean, I have direction. I have purpose. I have meaning. Life matters. My depression is lifted. I just want to run and tell everybody. And then you come up against some conflict and then people start bad-mouthing you and you just you get, you get tired of it. Christians, run. You're not weary. Keep running. I love this. You know who that is? His name's Eric Little. He won a gold, actually two gold medals in the 1924 Olympics. In Paris, he was supposed to run the 100 meters, but because they were held on Sunday, 
he wouldn't do it because he was a pastor, he was a Christian. God's word remains. The rest of it is fluff. I'm not doing anything that's contrary to God. I'm going to wait on God. What are you, crazy? Your country has brought you to the Olympics to run your best event, the 100 meters, and you're going to wait on God because you don't want to run on the Sabbath? Aren't you a little uppity, a little too religious? He'd grow weary. He would say to his sister, he says, you know, Mary, I feel God's pleasure when I run. He was Scotsman. He says, I feel God's pleasure when I run. I want to glorify him. I don't run for England. I don't run for me. I run for his glory. That's why he did what he did. What's amazing about him is in the 400 meters, which wasn't his best event, it was awful. They put him uh, to run the 400 meters. It was held on a weekday, a race he ended up winning. Got the gold medal in a race that he wasn't even as, and people were stunned and he would run with his head back, this unconventional running style. It's chariots of fire. You watch the movie. It's fascinating. His testimony, and as soon as he finished at 1925, uh, he, he finishes the Olympic, 1925, he goes to China to be a full-time missionary. Wow. And he died in a concentration camp in China that was operated by the Japanese. And so when you get to the passage that we read, that says, they shall run and not be weary, then it goes, they shall walk and not faint. He knew what it was like to run and to tell everyone, and he would run and then he would preach and he'd run and he'd preach. He'd run and he'd preach. He wouldn't grow weary. He'd do service after service. And then he ends up in China and he's, he's not running anymore, but he's preaching. And now he's in a concentration camp and he gets a bowl, one bowl of maggot-laden rice a day. His muscles wither. Not even the strength to get from place to place as he's watching his young physique fade and walk and not faint. Everything he could to do was stay awake. And he ended up dying in 1945. You see, walk and not faint. This man is Paul Solopec. Paul Solopec. He was born in Barstow, California. That almost looks like Barstow. <laughs> he is a two-time Pulitzer Prize winning um, journalist. And uh, he has decided to embark on this walk. It began January 2013. It's called Out of Eden, a seven-year walk along one of the routes taken by the early humans to migrate out of Africa, a transcontinental foot journey that will cover more than 21,000 miles. He's more than three-quarters of the way through. And I got news for you. The only way I would ever do that is if there was a point. Oh, what are you doing? I'm just walking. <laughs> Forrest Gump, I'm just running. No, 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 no. It doesn't work that way. Why are you doing this? I want to detail for mankind how you came out of this region of Mesopotamia and how we migrated around the earth. I want to journal it. And he is so other-centered. His family was Christian when he was raised. He talks to people along the journey. He is intrigued. He carries very little with him. Pours his life. He was imprisoned in, in Azerbaijan or the Sudan. I don't even remember. But He walks. He walks. And here's the part about the text that I want you guys to understand. They shall walk and not faint. You get tired. This is, this is a cool dude. His name's Travis Mills. Travis Mills is a friend. Not a close friend, but a friend, an acquaintance. I had lunch with him. My wife and I did. Sergeant, staff sergeant, Travis Mills. 
Really cool guy. He, uh, he had three tours of Afghanistan. The third tour in 2013, he was blown to shreds and he was one of five surviving quadriplegics. Blown apart. Man loves the Lord. He say, oh, I can't go on, Pastor. I'm just weary. God's waiting on you. You want to wait on him, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. That's what his word says. That's faith, taking God at his word. You wait on him, you take him at his word. It's not your finagling. It's not your cool kind of psychobabble. It's his word in the life of your family. It's praying. It's clinging. When you're talking to Michael, the guy who came out of drugs, and for those of us who've been through addiction, let me tell you something. you, You don't soar when you're coming out of addiction. You are walking the mundane of life. It is hard as hell. Every second is a white knuckle. And you're clinging to God's word. And you're praying without ceasing. And you're reading. And you're praying. And you're taking him at his word. You're waiting on him. Not static, active. God, help me. Those seconds turn into minutes. Those minutes turn into days. Hours, days, weeks. You get a 30-day chip. A year. We had one fellow in the last service, 28 years of sobriety. And every day he waits on the Lord. Every moment he waits on the Lord. You think you're going to skip through life by giving God a little tip of your time? You don't know what addiction's like. You don't know what depression's like. And I got news for you. You just start throwing God a little tip of your time instead of giving him it all and waiting on him. He'll wait for you. Life's not fun and depression comes, but when you understand who God is, then you understand how this works. He will lift you without any effort of your own. He will cleanse you. You're going to run and tell people, but life in the mundane is going to wear you out and you're going to be praying some days that you just don't faint. You're going to have that meth-addicted baby coming off, meth, praying, sleepless nights. You're going to have children wondering where they are. You're going to have a loss of a family member. You're going to have a health issue. You're going to have a financial issue. You're going to have a relationship issue. What does God say? Cling to his word. Hold fast. Wait on him. His word doesn't return void. It lasts forever. It will change your life, but he wants to develop in you faith. Wait on God. You know, you look at that and you think, really? You say, pastor, I just can't go another step. He's got to put his legs on before he takes another step. I can't do this. Stop your whining. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's faith. That's waiting on God. We want every reason to say, my, my way is hidden from the Lord and my just claim is passed over by my God. I just don't feel his presence enough already. Wait on him. It's worth the wait. He'll lift you. You'll run. But listen, the, life is worked out in the mundane. Every decision you make should be founded on the word of God. We should be men and women of prayer. 440,000 foster kids 
85 million evangelical Christians. I can't do this. I can't. No, it's not. I can't. I won't. You can with Christ. You won't. You see, folks, we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. When I met him and I heard his testimony, he blew me away. He doesn't, he hates the term wounded warrior. He hates it. You know what he calls himself? Recalibrated soldier. (laughs) Here he is. He's an amazing man. You learn how to walk and not faint in the mundane of life when you see how big your God is and you take him at his word. At first you'll soar and then you'll run. But then life gets down to the mundane. I've been doing this for 53, almost 54 years. It doesn't get easier. But it certainly is rewarding. And you look back and you see what God's word has done in your life and you have something of substance. to. And you know what? You impart that substance to your children. I look at my boys and I think, God, I didn't deserve kids like this. I look at my girls. I look at my wife. I look at my grandkids. How did you do that, Lord? How'd you take a wreck like me and give me a life like this? Because you waited on me, Rob. In the mundane of life, you took me at my word, and my word never, never returns void. But Lord, all the mistakes, ah, I forgot those. You forget what's behind, Rob. You strive for what is ahead. I got you. You keep your eyes on me. We've already been through the eagle lift. We've been through the running part. But now, the older you get, the heavier life becomes. And you walk with me. You won't faint. And your body will start to fail, but your heart will be strong. Lives will be blessed. And you'll get to the end of your race and your name will have a good fragrance. Walk with me. Wait on me. Watch what I'll do. And the easiest way to wait on God is to walk with him. The easiest way to wait on God is to take him at his word. And the easiest way to do all that is to realize how big he is. Start with the beginning verses before you get to the end. And then you realize the great joy of life is just to keep walking. Walk by faith, not by sight.